Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want you to follow along. These verses will be on your screen in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I want you to listen today as I preach to you from a sermon titled, God is on our side. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for being on our side. Thank you for your perfect word that you allow us to read openly. Thank you for a country that allows us to gather in your name and to listen to your word, God. Thank you for allowing many of us to have our own Bibles, God, that we can hold and touch and look at and receive instruction from you. God, I pray today that you would anoint my mouth and my mind to say the things that would honor you, things that would be sound doctrine. God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, not just in our head, but inside our spirit being, God, that you would teach us what you want us to know. Father, I pray that you'd increase our faith today and guide us by your spirit from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God is on our side. If you are one of those type people that like to write stuff down on three by five cards and put them on the visor in your car, tape them to your dashboard, tape something to your bathroom mirror, these five words are should be at the top of that list. You need to, if you don't hear anything else, get the title today. God is on our side. I wish you could believe that. If you just believe that one simple truth, it would affect every other area of your life. I want to do something this morning. I want to pretend, even though I know it's Sunday morning, I want us to take a Wednesday night look at these six verses. I want to just slow it down and teach instead of preach. I want us to look at this in bite-sized pieces so we can get what God wants us. I know that there are several things that God wants to say to you today. I'm going to say it, but you have to receive it. I'm going to say it. You have to receive it. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? I hope you do. I promise you I'll say it. That's, that's for sure. Whether or not you receive it, that's going to be up to you. Look at verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul has been, been working and establishing churches and doing ministry for years now. He's locked up. He's in jail. He's been in and out of prison. Timothy has come alongside him and co-labored with him in the ministry. And what's funny is, even though Paul was often imprisoned by local government, 
He didn't view himself as a slave of the government. He viewed himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, in our country, a country beset by slavery, a country whose greatest ill is slavery, and the biggest stain in the history of this country is the, the horrendous slavery of African-American people. And so many people want to dodge and duck verses like this. We got to eat the whole roll, the Bible says. We got, we got to look at every verse in the Bible and understand it, piece it together contextually and learn what God is saying to us. When Paul said he is a slave of Jesus, he used the Greek word doulos. Now, this word doulos means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Devoted to another. See, Paul saw himself as a willing slave, not as a forced slave. He saw himself as a willing object that devoted his life to someone else to the disregard of one's own interests. There are two major types of churches moving forward in 2017 in the United States of America. America, churches that empower the people and tell the people how awesome you are and how amazing you are and how gifted and incredible you are and make much of the people. And then there's another type of church that makes much of God. Do you see the difference? We are here by order of God's holy word to make much of God. We're not here to build up our own interests. We're here at God's request. We're here serving a God that's bigger than us, serving a God that's greater than us. There are actually churches on that first tip that I told you about that teach that we are gods and we control our own world. There's a word for preachers that preach that message, and the word is liars. We're not God. God is God all by himself. And the God of the Bible has allowed us to come along and to willingly serve him, to willingly make ourselves in bondage to someone else to the disregard of one's own interest. There are people in this room who really are sold out to God to the disregard of their own interest. They, they, they don't just do it because they want to do it. Some people only read the Bible when they feel like it. Other people read the Bible because they know that's what their, their boss has told them to do. Some people only give money when they feel like it, but other people do it to the disregard of their own interests. Some people will take their Saturday next week, instead of cleaning up their own house, they'll come to clean up God's house. Why? Because they are devoted to someone else even to the disregard of their own life. My question to you this morning is, what's more important to you? Your agenda or God's agenda? Hmm. Hmm. This is clearly seen. I, I, I'll give you, I, I'll help you decide. If you don't pray every day and have quiet time every day, if you don't read your Bible every day, if you don't come to church, even on days when you don't feel like coming to church, then you are satisfying your own agenda more than you're satisfying God's agenda. Because God's agenda for us is relationship. God wants to build a strong relationship with us. Now, relationship 
with God is very similar to any relationship. It's like the relationship Deacon West and I have. Deacon West has been coming to our church since almost the beginning for over a decade, and we know each other. Our children have spent the night with each other. We've hung out together. We, we've, we've gone to video arcades together, putt-putt together, uh, go-kart go riding, we, we spent time talking to each other and listening to each other. I know what he likes, and he knows what I like. The things I like are a little bit better than the things he likes, but <laughs> it just is what it is. But you got to know, you got to hang out with somebody to get to know them. Are you willing to hang out with God? If the only time you hang out with God is when you come to church, that's just this much. That's not to the disregard of your own interests. One of the things that we all need to get to the point uh, in, in our spiritual life is when we wake up before our feet touch the floor, we ought to say good morning to God and thank him for another day of life. When we get ready to end our day and go to bed, and we need to, we, before we close our eyes and, and go to sleep, we need to thank God for the day that he's given us. And if you haven't been on your knees that day and you're tired and your back's hurting, but you remember, I haven't talked to God on my knees at all today. Guess what you need to do? You need to get up out of that bed. You need to disregard your own interest and you need to show that you are committed to God above your own interest. These are the type of people that pray even when prayer is difficult. These are the type of people that study the Bible even when they don't have a lot of time and they don't fit God in. They put God at the top and fit other stuff in. These are the type of people that give to God first and watch God bless them throughout the week instead of giving to God last. You shouldn't be giving to God what's left over. You should be giving to God the first fruits of everything you make. Does anybody believe that sounds like the Bible to you? All right. He, sa he says that in verse 1, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. I, I love this verse of scripture. It shows what a real church looks like. Paul went around ordaining elders and deacons in every church, teaching people to ordain elders and deacons in every church. And this is what a church is biblically. It's the people, the elders, and the deacons. And this is who Paul says he's writing to. God's people. That's the church. The church isn't the bricks and the steeple. The church is the people. But to be who God wants you to be, you need to be involved in a local church. And it's not a local church if it doesn't have elders. It's not a local church if it doesn't have deacons. Six people sitting around at their house reading the Bible together is not the church. They can say that they're the church, but they're not doing what God has called them to do. you got to have people, elders, and deacons. We have been asking you for weeks to sign up, uh, to put your name uh, or your address, uh, your phone number beside your name on these sheets so we could give names out to the deacons. We accomplished that this morning. I split up everybody whose name we had between our elders and our deacons, and everybody who's been coming to this church has been assigned to a deacon family ministry, and they are going to be praying over you, praying over your needs, praying over your family, being there to serve you, to love you. You're going to give, get a phone call from them. And they're going to ask you, 
what specific can we pray for you about? We're going to put those prayer requests either in this book or in this book. If you have anybody that you know that is unsaved, obviously if you're saved and you know they're unsaved, guess what you want them to be? That's right, because there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And if you know anybody that's unsaved and you believe that God can save people, I want you to write their name in this book. I want you to write their name in this book, and beside their name, I want you to put the date that you write it. And when God saves them, we're going to put the date that God saves them. I've already got reports back, the people who put names in this book, that God is at work, and they're seeing God move. So if you know somebody that needs salvation, put their name in this book. If you have any other needs, if you have a need for healing, if, if, if you have financial needs, if you have spiritual needs, if, if you have family or friends that have any type of prayer needs, I want you to write their name, their need, and the date. And when God blesses that, when God delivers and heals that, we're going to put the date that God answered our prayer. And we're going to fill up these two books with answered prayer. Can anybody believe by faith that God is going to answer these prayers? Hallelujah. We are starting this deacon family ministry, and you're going to get a call this week. And I want you to get to know who is your family deacon. I want you to get to know the, the man and the woman that God has placed in your life to love you, to care about you. If you don't get a call this week, I want you to fill out a, a card in the back pocket of one of these chairs and let us know. No one called me this week. Your name might have slipped through the crack, and we might not have you, but we want to cover everyone because I don't ever again want to find out that somebody was in the hospital for six weeks and we didn't know about it. And, and listen, if, if you're that type of person, if you're easily offended, listen, community living's not going to be for you. If you wear your emotions on your sleeve, you're just going to get offended by everybody and anywhere you go. But I've had people say, I was out for five weeks. Nobody even called me. Well, you didn't call us either. I mean, if we're going to get down to it, uh, we didn't call you, you didn't call us. That, that makes us even. What are you upset about? But we're going to be checking on you. We're going to be loving on you. We have now got a manageable size group of people, and we've got enough deacons and elders involved that we can love each other and we can pray for each other in a really great way. And I want you to get to know your deacon family. I want you to pray for them. They're going to be praying for you, but I want you to pray for them too. These are wonderful, godly men and women, and it's going to be a blessing in your life to have somebody praying for you. Does anybody believe it's a blessing to have anybody praying for you? It's going to be amazing. In verse 2, Paul writes, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, this is a great way to pray for people. I've talked to the deacons about this. I've I've preached this. The Bible teaches us a pattern for prayer. When you're praying for people, God says to thank God for them and ask God to bless them. If I was going to pray for Stacy, I would say, dear God, I thank you for Stacy, and I pray that you would bless her. If I know specific things in her life, which I do, then I can pray those specific things. But if I don't know any specific things in their life, I can just say, God, I thank you for Miss Nixa, I, and, and I pray that you would bless her. This is the pattern of Christian prayer, and Paul says, is asking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you grace and peace. See, Paul knew something 
that a lot of people still don't know. Paul knew something 2,000 years ago that a lot of people still don't know. If you want to get something, you got to go to the right place to get it. How fortunate, how, 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 how capable would you be? How, how, how much do you think you could succeed at getting a Whopper from Burger King? Go like this. You can't get a, a, a Whopper. Oh, you can't get a Whopper. You can't get a Big Mac. Can you get a Big Mac from Burger King? Go like this. But you can get a Whopper from Burger King. If you want a Whopper, you go to Burger King. If you want a Big Mac, you go where? If you want barbecue, you go where? You make it yourself. Now, see, <laughs> that's funny. Paul knew the best place to get grace and to get peace came from God. I don't know who made that song up, but it's funny. Uh, looking for love where? People still doing it today. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for peace in all the wrong places. Looking for meaning in all the wrong places. Looking for purpose in all the wrong places. Looking for help in all the wrong places. Looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. The Apostle Paul knew that the, the, the one who can give us grace, the one who can give us peace, is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be praying for yourself that God would give you grace, that God would give you peace. Many people have falsely identified grace as unmerited favor. If you went to Bible college and you listened to a Bible college professor, teach you what grace is he would tell you that grace is unmerited favor giving someone something better than what they deserve there's a part there's a partial meaning of truth to that that is a a one-sided definition of what grace is but the bible says that jesus was full of grace jesus didn't ever get anything better than what he deserved because he always deserved the best so there has to be a bigger definition for what grace is and here's what the scripture teaches grace is it is the anointing, it is the empowerment that enables you to be and do all that God has called you to be and do. It's the enablement, the divine enablement. It's God enabling you to do and to be all that God has called you to do and to be. If you read scripture, it'll talk about the grace of God that was on so and so. And that is the power that enables them to do what God has called them to do. That's why some people can't stay in ministry long. Because that, that, that God hasn't empowered them to, to pastor, to teach, to preach, to lead. And their self-will and determination has called them to do that. See, some people are mama-called preachers. Mama told them, God, God said, you're going to preach. Some, some people are daddy-called pastors. Daddy was a pastor. So they think, I told my sons, you will not be a pastor just because I'm a pastor. You, you're not going to take the microphone from me. It's not going to be a passing of the torch. You're going to have to be called by God. We've got a horrible thing going on in churches today. We've, we've got people who are starting churches that have no business starting churches. If you look at the Bible... Every church was started and overseen by someone who was called to that church by a group of people. Or someone who was sent to that church by a group of people. 
There was always a group of people involved that directed that person by God's design to go to where they went to. That's where we get the cliche, some were called, some were sent, some just packed up their junk and went. Don't ever find yourself in a ministry where somebody just packed up their junk and went. If their testimony is, well, we used to be a part of so-and-so church, but we, we didn't like what was going on. We started our own church. What? Who sent you? Who called you? You called yourself? There's no biblical reference for that, and there's no grace. There's no empowerment on God. I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no doubt in my mind that the grace of God is on my life. To be the pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. No doubt in my mind. It, amen. If it was not for the embodiment of power that God has given me to do this, I would have quit. <laughs> yeah, you don't know, you don't know the story well enough if you can't figure that out. You ought to be good, you ought to have people asking you, how in the world? Can you do what you do? How in the world can you keep your head up in times like these? How in the world can you still smile and give God praise in a difficult situation like you're in right now? And the reality is, that's when you know the grace of God is on your life. You ought to pray for the grace of God to be on your life. You ought to pray for the grace of God to be on the life of your children. You ought to pray for God's peace to be on your life. And you ought to pray for God's peace to be on the life of people you cared about. This is the way that Paul prayed. And it's a great way to pray for people you care about. Ask God to give them grace. Ask God to give them peace. In verse 3, the Bible says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. To my God. Now that makes me scratch my head. Now I've told y'all before, I don't understand every verse in the Bible. There's some things that, that God is still working uh, out in me. There's some things that, I, I, God, I'm still growing. I'm in my process, just like you're in your process. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. That makes us equal. But Paul was able to say, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Oh, I just got it. I'm not playing. I'm not even being facetious. I just, re I just I found a way. He might be giving thanks because he's not them. God, I, 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 I give you thanks that I ain't. He said every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I don't remember who that cowboy was that wore the hat and wrote books that said um, he never met a man he didn't like. Will Rogers? Will Rogers said I never met a man I didn't like. How many of y'all ever met somebody you didn't like? The rest of y'all, I got some advice for you. Two words, keep living. <laughs> Will Rogers must have lived a sheltered life and only met three people. But here's the thing. Whether, whether Paul was in love with them or Paul was challenging them, he said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. A different version says it this way. I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. I've been teaching for years that I believe that this is spiritual prayer. This verse right here is a picture of spirit-led praying. As you get on your knees and you pray, and you tell God how much you love him, and, and, and you confess your sin to God, and you thank God for everything that he's done, and you ask God for the request that he said we can ask him for, and then you stay there. 
Don't get right up after you finish your words. Stay on your knees. Stay in prayer. And just listen. Just listen on the inside for God to lead you. And as people pop up in your mind, when, when God just lets some person come to your mind, guess what the Spirit is wanting you to do for that person right then? Pray for them. As you think about them, Paul said, as often as I think about you, I pray for you. I, I thank God every time I remember you. Paul would remember somebody, and he would pray for them right then on the spot. I want you to start doing that. When, when somebody's name pops in your mind, I want you just to tell God, God, I thank you for them. And I pray that you bless them, God. Help them in their daily struggle. This is spirit-led praying. When you think of somebody, thank God for them. The Bible teaches us to pray for each other. And when we pray for each other, we're told to thank God for them and ask God to bless them. I hope that you'll do that for me. I hope that you will ask God to bless me and to give me grace. Empower me to do everything that I'm supposed to do. Empower me to be everything that I'm supposed to be. Give me that grace on my life and give me peace in my mind so I won't get sidetracked. Some people are so weighed down in stress that they won't receive the peace of God. Some people are so burdened by their current situation they won't receive the peace of God. Some people won't see the blessings that are coming to them because they're so focused on the things that they don't have. I want you to learn how to celebrate God in the small stuff. I want you to learn how to celebrate God through every victory. I've told you before, but it's as simple as this. If you made it to your destination, this building today, without a car wreck, you ought to thank God. Especially if you had to drive on 103rd Street or Blanding Boulevard. You, but we need to learn how to thank God. We need to learn how to keep God at the forefront of our life. In verse 4, Paul said, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Now, here, here's the thing about this. If you follow the teaching of Jesus Christ, you will see that Jesus said, don't just love the people that love you, but love your enemies. And he said to do something very specific for your enemies. What did he say? Pray for your enemies. Now, when you're praying for the people you love, it's very easy to be joyful for them. When you're praying for people who are your enemies, not because you made them an enemy, but because they chose to be an enemy. If, if I do something to offend Deacon West, if I do something with, and, and I'm wrong, if I mishandle him, if I'm unkind, if I'm unloving, if I put him out on front street and don't cover him, then, then he can be upset with me, but he can choose to become my enemy over that, or he can choose to love me in spite of me. See, enemies are only enemies on their behest. You can say, well, he made me my enemy. No, he offended you and you chose to become an enemy. But when you pray for people, here's one thing I've learned about praying for enemies. You can't stay mad at people you're praying for. If you will learn how to be the praying person that God wants you to be, you'll start praying for people and you'll find yourself praying for them joyfully. 
you'll find yourself praying for them with the right spirit and not in animosity. Paul was so spiritual. Paul was so filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, I make requests for all of you with joy. See, the life of the Christian is not just to love people who are easy to love. The life of the true Christian is to love everybody and to pray for everybody with joy. Now, how many of y'all know some people make it hard to love them? Amen? Some people just make it hard to love them. But God has called us to love everybody. I, I, I've told the staff for years, as leaders, as overseers, as under shepherds, we're not just called to feed the good sheep. We're called to feed all the sheep. The good sheep, the retarded sheep, the rebellious sheep, the hateful sheep, the sheep that don't know their sheep, the, the, the strong-willed sheep. We, I mean, the lazy sheep, the, the ungiving sheep, the, the consumer but never producer sheep, the, the take but don't give sheep. I'm covering all bases. This is who we have to love. Let, listen, it ain't easy. Being cheesy. <laughs> and it ain't easy to love everybody. But God can give you the grace to do it. God can empower you from a divine perspective to be all that he's called you to be and to do all that he's called you to do. Paul was living this type of life. It's evidenced by the fact that he could make requests for all People with joy. In verse 5, he said, You've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Now, Philippi was a unique church. If you study the writing, the way Paul wrote to the Philippians, it was a more casual writing because he was close to them. Of all the churches that Paul was overseer of, the Philippians were the closest to him. He even said of them, When no one else was giving to my ministry, you gave out of your need. The Philippian church was a sold out, fired up, godly church. And Paul said, you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. This is the job of the church. This is the job of people who are born again. Paul starts off by saying, I'm writing this to all God's people. And he says, you've been my partners. Whether you want to be or you don't want to be. If you're saved, you are in partnership with God and all of God's people to do this very important task. Look at what the very important task is. Spreading the good news about Christ. Spreading the good news about Christ. I wonder when's the last time you told somebody the good news about Christ. See, we are called and commissioned our, our commission with Jesus is to go out and to make disciples, to cause people to want to follow God and to be Christians. Now, if people watch your life, are they going to want what you have? I hope they do. If they look at you and you're like, come to Jesus and you can be broke like me. Come to Jesus, you can be as miserable as me. Nobody wants that. But if your testimony is... Come to Jesus, and even when you're broke, he can give you peace and joy on the inside. Come to Jesus, and he can lift you up on the inside. It's our job to spread the good news 
about Christ. Not just once, not just twice, but from the time you first heard it on going forward. Here's our job. We need to be spreading the good news about Christ. You need to think in your mind right now, who's the last person you told the the, the good news about Christ too. Who, whose name did you write in this book and would even be willing to pray for them and ask other people to pray for them that they would know the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the reason many people aren't saved is because they have blinders on. That the God of this world has blinded them so they don't see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they put blinders. Listen, your children might have blinders on them preventing them from hearing your message and seeing your message. The people that you work with might have blinders on them that don't enable them to hear and to see what you're talking about. And that's why it's not just us. We can't get it done on our own behalf. We need to be co-laboring with God. We need to understand this is a mission that I'm partnering with God, that I'm partnering with God's apostles, elders, and deacons. We have a job. So the job. We have a job. And that job is to spread the good news about Christ. If you're not spreading the good news about Christ, then you are setting yourself up for failure. Spread the news. Spread the news. Make it your determination. I'm going to tell all my friends how good Jesus is. I'm going to tell all my family how good Jesus is. I'm going to keep telling people how good Jesus is until they just run me off and run me out. But I'm going to keep telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. What, 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 do, we, what do we learn from this? We are in this together. You see that word partner? Look on the second line of the screen. Paul said, you've been my partners. We need to understand we're not in this alone. You may feel like you're all by yourself. You may feel like you're alone. But everybody who calls God their heavenly father is tied together, united together. The Bible says that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We have a partnership. Listen, we are designed as human beings. To seek relationship and meaning. Some people think, well, I just don't need a lot of people in my life. I'm kind of a loner. Something happened to you that broke something in your psyche that caused you to think that way. God built us for relationship. God built us for community. Why do you think people join fraternities? Why do, why do you think people would be willing to get hazed and, and ridiculed and tortured just to be part of a fraternity? Why do you think Q-Dogs would put their arm up to a hot brand and, 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 and keloid scar their arm for life? Because we want relationship. We, we want a, a, a group affirmation. We want to be a part of something. Now, my question to you, if you had to answer this, what are you a part of? You might be a part of a fraternity. You might be a part of a civic group. You might be part of a political denomination. But the biggest thing you'll ever be a part of is the body of Christ. The most important thing you'll ever find partnership, affirmation, unity, and purpose in is the body of Christ. And our job is to be partners with Paul. 
Our job is to be partners with Timothy. Our job is to be partners with all of God's people in spreading the good news. I hope that you're active in doing your job spreading the good news about Christ. So what have we seen so far? First, we saw that we belong to God. We're not on our own. Make sure that you know you're not on your own. Many times the enemy will come to you and make you want to feel isolated, make you want to feel alone, make you want to feel unimportant, make you want to feel like your vote doesn't count, make you want to feel like nobody knows you. God knows you. You are in this with God. You, 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 you belong to God. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We've also seen scripturally that we need to pray for each other. We, 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 we saw that we need to be spreading the good news about Christ. And last thing I'm going to tell you this morning, we're going to get out of here early, but I don't want you to miss this. This is huge. In verse 6, listen to what Paul said in verse 6. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Listen, I want you to know that God is on your side. So here's what I want us to do. And it's been years since we made any type of declaration together. It's been years since we made any type of scriptural affirmation together. But I, I want you to do this with me. We're going to say together, God is on my side. All right? I want you to say it with me. Say it. God is on my side. I want you to say it and believe it. Say it again. God is on my side. I want you to know in your darkest hour that you ought to be able to say it. God is on my side. When you don't feel anything on the outside, you need to know deep on the inside that God is on my side. When you come on good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days, you need to know that God is on your side. If you can hold on to this scriptural truth, then it will change the way you look at everything. It doesn't matter if it's rainy days or sunshine, God is on your side. You need to understand that God sees the end from the beginning. We only see what's going on right now. But God allows us a peek into the future through his holy word. And his holy word says that he is coming back for us. Look, look at the last half of the verse. It says that you need to continue. To, he'll continue this work until it is finally finished. When? On the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's coming back. He's coming back. You need to tell yourself constantly, he is coming back. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a belief system alone. This is a truth that Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, and, and said, I'm going away, but I will come back for you. Paul said, I'm certain that God comes. Always pause on the punctuation. Stop and think about what was just said. Take the word in bite-sized pieces so you can get it down inside you. He said, I'm certain that God. See, it's easy to be certain about what God's going to do because he never fails. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus never fails. God never fails. What he says he'll do, he's going to do it. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Everything. That God 
said he'll do, he'll do. And we need to be certain, just like Paul, that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. He said, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, who began this salvation thing in you? God did. Who, who began this new life in Christ? We, Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. The Bible says that God shows love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're saved at all, it wasn't because you were smart enough to ask God to save you. If you're saved at all, it was because God overtook you with his love, grace, and mercy while you were running headlong into sin. He chased you down and told you, no, you're mine. You're mine. I got a work to do in you. God has a work to do in you, Christian. Believe that. Understand that there's purpose for you. God began a work in you. And Paul said, I know it. I'm certain of it. I don't have a doubt in my mind. He started it, and he's going to continue it until it's finally finished. What God is doing in you has a finishing point. Oh, I think everybody ought to go in the military. I do. I think everybody at least ought to understand a military mindset. You can get it from a corporate mindset as well in many, in many different ways. Or you can have the mindset without going just through rational thinking. But listen, military people understand short-timers disease. Military people understand how easy it is when you're under 365 days. Military people understand, <laughs> I, I, I got an ETS. I, I'm going to end my time in service on that day, 26 March, 1989. I out-processed from the United States Army. And the whole year leading up to that, 215 days left. I'm out of this. <laughs> Extra work. I can stand on my head and count peas for the next 15 days. Y'all only got me for the next 12 days. There's a finish to this. When you grow weary, you need to remind yourself there's a finishing point. When you grow weary, you need to remind yourself it's not going to be this way forever. It might not ever get better on this earth, but there's a day when Jesus is coming back. It might not ever happen the way we want to see it happen in every situation, but God is going to continue his work. He's going to keep on keeping on. So let me tell you something. If you're a true believer... You can't get away from this thing. You cannot. People say, well, he walked away from his salvation. Uh, the Bible said God will chase you down. He, he gave up on, on his covenant. The Bible says the covenant is held together on the greater part. God is holding on. Listen, if we were just holding on to God and he wasn't holding on to us, we'd all be lost. The, God keeps on keeping on. And I want you to know, if you're truly saved, you can't get away from God. You can try. You can run if you want to, but he's still there. The psalmist said, where, where am I going to go? If I go to the highest mountain, he's there. If I go to the lowest valley, he's there. If I go all the way to the bottom of the ocean, where no man has ever gone before, he'll still be there. I don't know what you're going through today. But if you're saved, I know God has started a work in you. And he's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep doing it. And when you pray, you just need to ask God, keep on doing it, sir. Keep on doing it. I'm here for you. 
I'll stand up for you. If you say stand up, I'll stand up. If you say sit down, I'll sit down. If you say read my Bible, I'll read my Bible. I'll say my prayers. I'll make good choices. And God just keeps on working. See, when God saves you, he starts something in you. And thankfully, he doesn't leave us to ourselves. He stays with us. And he keeps on working in us until. Say until. There's a finishing point. He keeps on working. He continues his work in us until it is finally finished. One day God's work in you is going to be finished. But it won't be the day you decide. And it won't be the day I decide. We don't get to decide. And we don't know when he's going to be finished. But one day he's going to be finished. Look at the verse on the screen and tell me, when is he finally going to be finished? When Jesus returns, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? The Bible teaches Jesus is coming back for all those that love him. He's coming back for all those that love him, and he's going to take us with him to heaven. He is coming back. Listen, I don't recommend this. I don't recommend you get theology from movies. I don't recommend... That you get theology from nursery rhymes. Although sometimes some stuff is said that makes good sense. And if you follow Joe Dirt's theology. Joe Dirt asked somebody. Is that what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Making fun of poor little old Joe Dirt. What do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? What do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Do you want to be serving God when Jesus comes back? Or do you want to be running from God in sin? Do you want to be loving God and actively praying and seeking God and partnering and spreading the good news about Jesus? Do you want to be doing what he called? Jesus said, will anybody still have faith when I come back? Do you want to be faithful when he comes back? See, if we knew, the Bible says, if, if you knew what day the thief was going to come, you could stay up and wait on him. But you don't know. That's why he catches you napping. And we don't know the day Jesus is going to come back. Jesus said nobody, including him, only the Father knows the day that he's going to come back. That's the day that this work will be finished in me. People say, Pastor Scott, when are you going to give up? Never. What my answer's always been, until I see this deeper truth, I'm going to give up when Jesus comes back. He's not finished with you until Jesus comes back. Some people think that because they've done something bad, because they've done something ungodly, because they got caught up in some deep sinful stuff, that that means that they, they just need to give up and that God will never use them again. Listen, God is going to continue his work in you until Jesus comes back. So if God is going to continue his work in you until Jesus comes back, wouldn't it make good sense that you go ahead and get on with the getting on and start working with him, start agreeing with him, start partnering with him, stop fighting him, stop being the rebellious child, stop being the retarded sheep, stop being the strong-willed, ignorant sheep, and just decide, I got a shepherd that loves me, and I'm going to eat from his hand, and I'm going to love him back. And when he comes back for me, I'm going to be right there doing what he called me to do. 
All these liars tell you come to Jesus and life will get better. All these liars on TV tell you give $100 and God's going to give you 1000 None of that's in the Bible. Sometimes you come to Jesus, there's some hardship to face. Sacrifice. Slavery. Fellowship. Lordship on his part. Fellowship on our part. Looking up on his part. Looking down. Looking up on our part. Looking down on his part. See, so many people want to see what he sees. We can't see everything that he sees. But we should know like the Apostle Paul knows. I'm certain that God started this thing and he's going to keep on keeping on until Jesus comes back. God is not through with you because he's on your side. Because he started something in you that he wants to finish in you. And here's the big takeaway from today. I said all that to say this. I've already talked about it. But I want to finish by reminding you, God is on your side. Whatever you go through this week, I want you to tell yourself, God is on my side. When you face adversity, I want you to remind yourself that God is on your side. When you feel so overwhelmed that tears just begin to leak out of your eyes and the pain of the situation that you're going through seems so unbearable and undoable, I want you to remind yourself God's on your side. And there's an end to this thing. It won't be like this forever. We used to sing a song that said, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And I thought for sure the Lord was going to come back in 1981. But he didn't. Then a lot of eschatology leaders started preaching and showing scripture that he's going to come back in 1986. But he didn't. A lot of people thought that the year 2000, the world was going to end. But it didn't. Some of you have thought, I'm just going to fall apart and give up. But you didn't. Some of you have been lied to by the enemy and believed the voices in your own mind. I can't do this anymore. I just can't even hold on anymore. I can't even keep my mind together anymore. I'm just going to fall down and fall apart. But you didn't. I want you to know why you didn't. I want you to know why you're still in church. I want you to know why you still believe in God. I want you to know why you're still trying to become that person that God created you to be. The reason why we're still here, the reason why we're still pressing and striving and serving is because God is on our side. And he is not going to give up until it's over. He is not going to give up on you. Get in the habit of reminding yourself. Let your ears hear your mouth say, God is on my side. And if you ever get to the point where you actually read this book, all the way to the end, you're going to find out. You're the winner. You're the winner. You are the winner. I I don't think I've ever seen a better display of it than what the Patriots did to the Falcons. 
in the Super Bowl last year. I was watching social media as I was watching the Super Bowl. And the Falcon fans were already celebrating. They were just going off. Where Tom Brady at now? Dirty Birds, Super Bowl champions. No. Why? Because they were looking at a score before the end of the game. And Atlanta thought they were going to win because they had the largest margin of victory. Nobody had ever come back from being down that low. But here comes Tom Brady. Here comes the Patriots. The fourth quarter. And they overcame the largest margin to win. And it did not matter who was ahead at halftime. It didn't matter who was ahead in the third quarter. It didn't matter who was ahead in the fourth quarter. And in your life, if you know that ultimately you win this game of life because whatever happens to you here, you got a home in glory land that outshines the sun, how are you going to let being down and behind the score right now impact your mind? Get your mind off these temporary afflictions. Get your mind off the, the, these, these earthly issues and get a heavenly focus that says, huh, you, might, you think you're winning right now, but me and Jesus got a plan. Me and Je God got a plan for my life that you ain't seeing clearly because I already got a home in heaven and God says he already sees me seated next to him in heaven. See, if you watch that game over, it's a whole different feeling. If you're an Atlanta Falcons fan and you watch that game over, you ain't excited about what's going on in the first quarter no more. You're just sick to your stomach off the whole game. You're not excited to have a 28-point lead. That means nothing to you because you know you lose. And if you're a Patriots fan and you watch that game over today and you watched it originally the first time it was live, you don't have that same pit in your stomach of, oh, my God, we're losing. You're just sitting back on chill. <laughs> just keep watching because you know what happens in the end. Do you know what happens in the end, Christian? You go to heaven, and all your struggle is over. You go to a place where there's no more crying, and there's no more dying, and there's no more tears, there's no more pain. And Jesus is the light of the world. God is on your side. Don't let life get you down, Christian. When hardship comes your way, remember God is on your side. When difficulty comes your way, ask God for grace to do and to be all that he's called you to do and to be. Because the bottom line is this. You cannot control all the circumstances in the world. But if you read your Bible, say your prayers, and make the best choices you can make, Day by day, you ought to be able to lay your head down on your pillow and tell God, I did my best, sir. If you let me get up tomorrow, I'm going to do my best again. You're in partnership with God. we got to go out and spread this good news that Jesus Christ can save lost people.
and give them a home in heaven. we got to go out and spread this good news that there's a church off Firestone on Georgetown Drive that cares about the community and wants to serve the community. we got to go out and spread the good news that there are people at Abundant Life that have chosen to love each other in spite of political preference, denominational preference, racial preference, age, gender, sex. None of that matters to us. We are one in the name of Jesus. And we serve him above our own desire. Because we know he wins. We know he's not going to give up on us. Don't give up on him. Pray with me. God, thank you for being on our side. Thank you for your love and your goodness. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen the hurting, Lord. Comfort those who are going through things with the knowledge that you love them. And that you're on their side. God, I pray for every Christian in the room today that you would help us to focus on the reality that we are on the winning team. And that this life is temporary, but eternity is forever. God, I pray for every person in this room who's not born again. That you would reveal yourself to them. And show them that you love them and you have a plan for their life. And they can be on the winning team too. If they will just ask you to save them. Thank you, God, for making salvation so easy for us. Thank you for paying the penalty for our sin. And thank you for new life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.